0: Pastor Charlie is going to be away this weekend. Obviously, he is in Wisconsin preparing for a, a pastors' conference that he went to last year, and just was so blessed by it that he he wanted to go again. So he's over there right now. So please keep him in your prayers, just that God would continue to just refresh him and use this time away, that he would be able to to just really hear from the Lord and and just to just to be encouraged where he's at. But this morning, I have the privilege of being able to share with you, and we are going to be starting a two-part series on the book of 2 Timothy. So if you would turn there, please. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll go ahead and read through the first few verses, and then we'll pray. Second Timothy chapter One, it says, "Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved Son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears." that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning once again, just so thankful and amazed at your grace and your love towards us, that that you called us, that you chose us specifically, uniquely, and individually by name. And Lord, as we come to you with that understanding this morning, we pray that you would continue that work, that you would speak to us this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit through your word, Lord, that our hearts and our minds would be open and receptive to everything that you desire to speak and to teach, and Father, that you would give me your words to speak and not my own. We also lift up Pastor Charlie as he's away, Lord. We pray that you would give him a, a wonderful time of refreshment and encouragement and that you would bring him home safely, Father. And, and we just pray for, for everything that you desire to do here in this fellowship, Lord, that you would continue to be at the center of every decision, of every choice, of every direction that we make. We ask and pray all of these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. So just to give you an understanding of where we're headed, because last night I got some comments that, well, you were all over the place. It wasn't really all over the place. We were just going through verse by verse. And so that's what we're actually going to be doing over the next two weeks. We're going to go from First Timothy, Timothy chapter 1 all the way through the last verse of this book. And so that's kind of where we're headed. But this morning, we're just going to look at the first one and a half chapters. And, and where we start here, just to give you a little bit of introduction, give you an understanding of where, where this is taking place, this is Paul. I think we, Paul's self explanatory. I think we've learned a lot about Paul. But just to give you an understanding of where he's at in his ministerial life, Paul has already gone through a lot of stuff. You know, you go through the book of Acts, as we did on, on Sunday mornings, and you see all of the trials, all of the tribulations, the imprisonments, the shipwreck, the, the beatings, the snake bitten, all of the things that had happened to Paul up to the end of the book of Acts. And yet, he still wasn't done. When we end the book of Acts, he's under house arrest. It says that he's imprisoned, but he's under house arrest. And so up to that point, it's still not a a pleasant thing to be under house arrest, but it wasn't as dark and terrible as we might think. And so he was usually chained to a guard, and that guard was, was just a person that would make sure that Paul didn't get away. And so he ends up gaining his freedom back. He goes on another missionary journey. We believe that he probably went to Spain. And then upon his return to Rome, he's arrested again. But the climate of Rome had changed dramatically during that time. Nero had come to power, and Nero had, had become what many believe to be possessed by Satan. And if not directly possessed, definitely influenced. And Nero actually burned down the city of Rome, and he blamed it on the Christians. And then it, it said that, that he actually was dancing through a courtyard as Christians were being lit on fire because he said that they wanted to be a light unto the world and let that be. And, I mean, this, this is the man that, that was doing all this. And so this has already started to take place. So when Paul comes back, he's arrested. And this imprisonment is much worse than all the others. This is not a house arrest. This is actually being placed in a dungeon it's widely believed that Paul at this point was chained to a post in such a way that he couldn't sit so he was standing the whole time and that he was probably in a, in a pile of human excrement that basically he was in a sewer he was chained to a pole in a sewer and then he would get short times of respite where where they would take him out and they would put him just in a holding cell and that's probably at the time that he was able to dictate this letter but Paul at this point he's been through so much And he now knows that the end is coming, that the end of his life here on earth is coming. And so the title of this message this morning is, If This Is My Last. Because Paul was getting to the end, and Paul understood that this could very well be his last letter, his last opportunity to speak to Timothy. And these are the things that he chose as most important to share with Timothy. You think about when you're going to have your last whatever it is. You know, people talk about, especially me, I've been on countless numbers of diets in my life and when you say you get on a diet there's usually the inherent how long were you on it before you got off of it right and and that's kinda the way we are but right before you get on a diet right before you you say you're gonna eat clean what's one of the last things that you do you have a cheat meal right this is going to be my last cheat meal. Or this is going to be my last meal before I eat clean. And so you think about all the things that you're going to have to do without. All the things that, that you could have of anything in the world that you could eat. What is it that, that one thing, that last thing that you want to have before you can't have it anymore? And that becomes the most important thing. And you go out and you have that. You, you have that meal or you, you eat that, that whatever it is. Because you know that this could be the last thing and it's going to be so important. When you get to the end of your life, people talk about a bucket list. All the things that they want to accomplish, all the things that they want to see, the places they want to visit, the things that they would like to have accomplished before they leave this earth. If this was my last, if this was my last day, you know, coaches talk about it all the time. If this, you need to play like this is the last game ever. You need to just pour your heart out, leave your heart out on the field and it's the same thing as Christians we're called to do that every day that live this day as if it was your last but paul is literally in that place where today really could be his last and so he's writing these things to timothy and why did he choose timothy he says in the the opening lines there paul an apostle of jesus christ first by the will of god it wasn't his own choice it wasn't his own will it was by the will of god but then he says according to the promise of life which is in christ jesus to timothy a beloved son. A beloved son. Timothy was more than likely a teenager when Paul first met him on one of his first missionary journeys. And when Paul had the opportunity to meet Timothy, we believe that, that he was probably very influential in leading Timothy to the Lord. And so their relationship continued to blossom, so much so that, that Paul actually called Timothy to be an intern, if you will, and to go on a missionary journey with him. And now where we find Timothy at this point is Timothy is now taken over as a pastor of the church of Ephesus. And Timothy and Paul shared a very unique relationship. For Paul to be able to write to to Timothy and to call him a beloved son, you know, those weren't just words that were carelessly tossed out. He was a beloved son. Not just a son, not just beloved, but both together. He was a beloved son. And that, that carries a great deal of weight. This is a man that Paul greatly, deeply cared for. Yesterday, we had the privilege to be able to to partake in a memorial service here for the father of one of our elders, and one of the things that struck me the most, aside from you know the the obvious difference between someone that hasn't been saved and someone that has been saved, when and there was a a, a sadness at, at missing them, but a joy at knowing where where he is now, spending all of eternity in the presence of. Of God. But one of the other things that really struck me was that Daniel, he, he kind of had to be the MC. It was the son. He had to be the MC. And so every time that there was going to be something else that would happen, if there was going to be a, a time of prayer or a time of reflection or a time of worship, whatever it was, he would come up to speak. And the first thing that he said every single time, every single time, must have been close to 10 times, every single time he said, I am the proud son of Eduardo Hernandez Sr. Every single time. That, that was his opening line. And I thought that that was so, so telling and so important to our understanding of, of this. Is that that relationship is something that is unparalleled. That relationship is something that is unparalleled. That's why we, we talk about God our Father. Because the understanding there is that that is an unparalleled relationship. The parent and the child. The father and the son dynamic there. And so this is Timothy. This is who he's writing to. And where he's writing, we talked about he's in prison. And at this point, it could be the end. And yet, as he's writing this letter to Timothy, his beloved son, all he can think about is life. He even said it there. According to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, he's thinking about his life after death. But he's also thinking about Timothy's life before death and so his focus is not on death his focus is on life and so he starts here and he he begins to talk to timothy as a son but also as a fellow brother in the lord and so he opens the letter by saying grace mercy and peace from god the father in christ jesus our lord you know if you've studied the pauline epistles at any length you know that grace and peace was a very typical greeting for paul grace being the the traditional Greek greeting, and peace, shalom, being the the traditional Hebrew greeting. And so he would always say grace and peace. And we talk about the fact that you can't really have peace until after you've experienced the grace of God. And so it's important that they're in that order, grace and peace. But in this particular letter and in the other two pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy and Titus, he actually adds one more word, and that's mercy. It says grace, mercy, and peace. And grace, I think we've talked a lot about. We understand that that's undeserved favor. You didn't do anything to deserve it, and yet you were still blessed. You were still gifted with something. Obviously, peace is that peace that passes all understanding. To be able to to have that, that calmness, that quiet, if you will, even in the midst of the storm. But mercy, mercy is when you have had that shortcoming, and yet there's leniency. There's forgiveness. There's restoration there. And, and I find it interesting that he only chooses to add mercy in his greeting in the pastoral epistles. And as I was studying through and reading different commentaries, a lot of people had the same sentiment and the same feeling, is that it's because as a leader, wherever you lead, whether you're leading a church, whether you're leading a ministry, whether you're a manager at work, whether you're the coach of a team, whatever it is that you are leading... Even if you are just leading your household, there is a tremendous need for mercy. Obviously, the mercy that you show to those that, that you're leading, to those that you're supervising, that you're managing, but also shown to you because you're not perfect still. You know, we, we had the, the opportunity a couple of weeks ago to be able to present the leadership of this church to you all, to be able to let you know who the pastors and the elders and the deacons are. And that wasn't because they're perfect, it wasn't because we're perfect. It was just because these are the people that we truly believe God has raised up to be leaders in this church. But there was a a continual and constant reminder that we are not perfect. We need everybody to be clear on that, that we are not perfect. And there has to be mercy. We still desire to be perfect. We try, and all of us should. But there's this need for mercy. And so he says here, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he continues on there. He says, I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. And so he says here that I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience a pure conscience. that means that there is no no variation there's no i'm doing this because i want to do this i'm doing this because of the financial gain i'm doing this because it's the popular thing to do is i'm doing this for any other reason i'm doing this out of a pure conscience because i am called to be an apostle of jesus christ by the will of god by the will of god it's important that we get to that place where whatever it is that we're doing we're doing it with a pure conscience because we know beyond a shadow of a doubt That we are in the will of God where we are at. And then he says, As without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. And that is an awesome, awesome thing to think about. Because we just talked about where physically Paul is at this point. When he's dictating this letter, Paul is actually suffering. I mean, that is a miserable place to be. A miserable place to be. It said that the the place that he was being held was the Mamertine prison and that it's still there to this day and that you can go and you can visit it. And, And this was a place with no windows. It was completely dark. As we talked about, it's almost like a sewer. And he's chained there and he's literally in prison. But Paul recognizes this not as being in chains, but as an opportunity for a different area, a different facet of ministry to take place. And he spends his time in prayer. I mean, out of all the things that Paul could have been doing at this point, he could have been grumbling, he could have been complaining, he could have been doing any number of different things, but he's choosing to take this opportunity to pray. And it says that, I remember you in my prayers night and day. Sometimes we find ourselves in a place where, where we, we might feel chained. We might feel imprisoned. Whatever it is, you have a financial constraint. You have a, a physical, medical constraint. Maybe it's an emotional attachment. Maybe it's a job that you just can't get away from. Whatever it is, sometimes we find that, and our first response is not to pray for others in that situation. Our first response oftentimes is to grumble and complain, and why me, Lord? Why am I having to go through this? What did I do to deserve this? But Paul didn't do that. Paul was taking this opportunity to go through his Rolodex and figure out, you know, who, who can I pray for? To go through that contact list and, and just say, you know what? I'm going to spend this time remembering you to the Lord. A couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to hear a man speak. His name was Ross Rhodes. Ross Rhodes is one of the pastors that's involved with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. And and they would call him the pastor to the pastors. Before they would have a Billy Graham crusade, the the night before they would have a a meeting for everybody that was going to be involved in that crusade, for all the prayer counselors, for all the pastors, for all the worship teams, for everybody that was going to be serving the next night, the night before they would have a meeting. And the person that gave that that Bible study was actually not Billy Graham. It was this man. It was Ross Rhodes. And one of the things that, that struck me the most as I was listening to this man teach is that he was talking about having to fly back and forth across the country. And all the different ways that people kill time and carry on conversations, read books, do different things. He said that one of the things that he liked to do and it it just became a habit for him and, and it continued to grow was that he would actually go through his phone and go through the contact list and he would start at the beginning and he would just very, very shortly pray for every person that he could in that contact list. And just to take that time, whether it was an hour, two hours, three hours, whatever it was. And it wasn't this long, drawn-out thing where he got down on his knees and he spent three hours in prayer for every single person. But he would go through and he would pray specifically individually for each person in that contact list. I thought, that's amazing. You know, some of us are involved in a a text message prayer chain where when text messages or or prayer requests come in, we receive text messages about those things. And one of the things that that I've learned about myself is that I have to pray for it right then. Because sometimes you, you just get caught up. You get caught up in all the other things that you're doing. You get caught up in life. Life happens. And we lose sight of all of that. And so I take the opportunity to pray right then. And as I was studying through and preparing, it was a convicting thing to think about all the other people that I could be praying for that I don't. Not to say that I don't pray for a lot of people, but I could always be praying for more people, right? I mean, we, we all know people that even right now, if I ask you, give me the, the last 15 people that you prayed for, And you know, by the time most of us get past 10, it starts to be, well, It was a a while back, but I I think I remember praying for that person. Specifically, individually, by name. People that you know. Do we pray for them? And not just the non-believers, not just the people that we want God to speak to and bring them into the kingdom, but also for the believers. For the children of God, for our brothers and sisters in Christ, just to take that time, that opportunity to pray. And Paul was doing that. He says, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears, mindful of your tears. I mean, the, this is a, a, an interesting thing that, that we start to, to get a, a picture of Timothy. Timothy had, a, had some issues with his stomach. There's a constant reminder to Timothy to be strong, to not be afraid, to not be ashamed, to be bold, to not let others despise your youth. There's a lot of things there that, that would describe Timothy as maybe not the, the most macho of men. But it says, being mindful of your tears, not being ashamed... Not being concerned that you, you have tears. But it's says being mindful of your tears. That I'm praying for you because I understand that you are in pain. Doesn't doesn't mean I understand what you're going through. doesn't mean I can say, I know exactly what you're feeling. I know exactly how that feels. I know exactly what you're going through because we don't. But I understand that you're going through something. I understand that there are tears. I understand that there's pain. And so he's mindful of his tears. But then he says that I may be filled with joy when I call to remember it's the genuine faith that is in you. Timothy's life is a blessing to Paul even in the midst of this prison. Timothy's life is his blessing because his life lived out before others is genuine and faithful. Genuine and faithful. Timothy also had a number of great examples of Christ lived out in his life to be able to follow. Obviously Paul, but Paul also highlights his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. Sometimes we we overlook that fact. Sometimes we overlook the importance of women in the ministry of God. Women are very important in the ministry of the gospel. And it's not just inside the home is outside the home as well but inside the home that is a very important part for both men and for women and you look at the example that they were given and the example that they then showed later on as we we get a little bit further in paul's gonna tell timothy to take the things that i have shared with you and go and share them with others who are going to be faithful to then teach others as well that we pass it on we continually pass it forward poncho waters talks about the fact that the that he has a church in, in East L.A., and that there are thousands of people in East L.A. that are so thankful for a man named Tom Stipe, man who's never been to East L.A., never had a desire to go there, never went. But if it hadn't been for Tom Stipe sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, Pancho Juarez would have never been saved. And had Pancho Juarez never been saved, then he would not have had the impact on all the people in East Los Angeles that he's impacted. We don't know the impact that... That we're going to have on down the line. You know, we talk about all of these marketing things that happen and, you know, you get so many people under you and then those people get so many people under them. In a sense, that's the way that the church is supposed to grow. We're going to see that later. Sheep beget sheep, that you commit these things to faithful people who will then turn around and commit these to more faithful people and continue to see the kingdom of God advance. And that's what had taken place. Paul began sharing, then Lois, then Eunice, and now Timothy is in that place where he's learned from these people. And now he's turning around and he's sharing these things because now he's the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And if you notice, there's no mention of his biological father as a blessing or a hindrance on his life. We don't, we don't know exactly what was going on with Timothy's dad. He's not mentioned But Timothy had a father in God, but he also had a father figure in Paul. But then he continues on there. He says in verse 6, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And that word there, that phrase to stir up, literally means to stoke, to, to bring back to life a dying ember something that is about to burn out, and you you bring it back to life. And he's telling Timothy to do this. I remind you to stir up the gift of God. That means to continually rework it, to get it back to that fanned flame. There are many, many times in our lives where for one reason or another, we get to that place where, where the coal is starting to burn out. Maybe we're overwhelmed with things that are going on at work, overwhelmed with a financial situation, overwhelmed with a sickness, a condition, overwhelmed with a variety of different things. Maybe we just feel overworked even in doing ministry. But whatever it is, there's this exhortation to stir up the gift of God, to continue to work out that gift. And he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So he's telling him to stir up this gift, and this is why, and this is how. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of three things, of power and of love and of a sound mind. The power to be able to do the work of God, the love to be able to share even with the most challenging of people, and a sound mind to learn and to discern not only what the gifts that you've been given are, but when and where to use them. So the power to do the work of God, we have been empowered, we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, that we would be able to accomplish everything that God has called us to. God will never call you to do anything that he will not empower you to complete. God will never, ever call you to something that he will not empower you to complete. That doesn't mean that we have it in and of ourselves. In fact, most of the time, we don't have it in and of ourselves but God has been faithful and he has promised to continue to be faithful and then the love to share even with the most challenging of people there are people that that we just don't click with off the bat you know let's be honest every brother and sister in the Lord you love but there are some brothers and sisters in the Lord that it is difficult for you to love and it's usually our fault because for whatever reason we just didn't didn't gel with their personality and so they haven't done anything wrong to us we just didn't click with them. But we need to come to a place of understanding that, that if God looked at us the same way that we look at others, he would have nothing to do with us. You know, what's the reason most of the time that we don't click with somebody? You know, it's a, a personality conflict or it's a, a status conflict, you're, you're in a different place in your life. You know, you have kids, I don't. Or I have kids and you don't. Or you're too old, you're too young. You're too married, you're too single. You're too rich, you're too poor. You're too educated, you're uneducated. Look at all those things. How do you think God sees us? I mean, which one of you, which one of us could actually say, oh, well, I'm as good as God in that. There's not a single thing that we have that we are as good at as God is. God is better, greater, more beautiful, more amazing, more compassionate, more loving, more holy, more righteous, at end. I mean, there's just nothing that you can have that God can't do better, except sin. And that's not really something that we want to be proud of. And yet God loved us so much that he saw past all of that. He called us each individually by name, uniquely, and gifted us. And part of that gifting for every single child of God is his love. And his love is not just to extend to you. It's his love to extend to you, to fill you, to overflow your heart and to pour into the lives of others. And then the last thing of a sound mind. To be able to learn and discern how to use our gifts. We need to first know what our gifts are. You need to know what you have been gifted at. What are the things that God has placed in your life that He wants to use for the kingdom, that He wants to use for His glory and His honor? Do you know what those things are? If you don't, I challenge you this morning to find out, to seek the heart of God, to seek the face of God, and to have Him tell you what it is that He wants you to use. Because I guarantee you, you have been gifted. You have been gifted. Now you need to find what that gift is. And then the sound mind is also important to be able to know how and when to use those gifts. How and when to use those gifts. Just to highlight one, which is one of the most obvious ones, one of the ones that is probably discussed and debated the most, the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues is not a gift that that I believe everybody receives. Everybody has the opportunity, but not everybody actually receives that gift. And when you do receive that gift, that doesn't necessarily mean that every time that you are in a place with another believer that you are called to use that gift. You need to be discerning. You need to understand not only what your gift is, but when and where and how to use it. Because God is a God of order, and God has given all of these gifts for His glory, for His kingdom, for His honor not for us to to show off what we've been given you know you you see little kids and you talk about show and tell and they can't wait to bring the gift you know show and tell show and tell what am I gonna take that's not the way we're supposed to use the gifts of God the gifts of God are not look what I got the gifts of God are look who saved my life look who wants to change yours Look who is continuing to work in mine. And so he says, of a sound mind. And that he has not given us a spirit of fear. Fear is not a gift from God, it is a present from the enemy. Fear is, a not, is not a gift from God, it is a present from the enemy. You think about all the, the most challenging times in your life. The things that you, you just dreaded. Whether it was for a couple of minutes, for hours, for days, for weeks, for months, maybe even for years. Something that you, you just saw the writing on the wall. You knew it was going to come. And you start going through all of the possible outcomes. All of the ways that this could go badly for you. All the ways that this could go badly for your family, for whatever it is. And you start thinking about all of the possible negative outcomes. And then you get to the other side of whatever it is that's going to happen. The reality is almost never even close to all the fears that we had. You know, you look at Y2K, I, I remember, I was, was, I was a, a young man, I was 20, and I remember all the people talking about, oh, it's the end of the world, and you know, all the electronics are gonna fail, and there's gonna be all this stuff, there were all these movies, and then you have uh, all the, the doomsdayers, who, oh, well, it's gonna be this year, and it's gonna be on this date. And I was joking with one of the elders while well, I was talking with him, and he was joking with me. He was telling me that they used to get together every year, and they would have kind of like a you know, well, today's going to be the end of the world because so-and-so said it, so let's have a, uh, a fellowship because this is going to be our last fellowship together. And it was jokingly because he understood that it wasn't going to happen. But he said, we used to do that every year. Now it seems like we have to do it every six months because every, every half year, somebody else is saying, oh, well, this, all these things are going to line up and the planets and the blood moons and, and the Shemitah and the seventh year and all these things. I mean, and all of them make sense. I mean, you can build a case for just about anything that you want. The reality is, we're not supposed to focus on that. We're not supposed to focus on that. You know, when that end comes, whenever it comes, that's going to happen. Were you worrying about it, that's not going to change anything. You know, God, God talks about it Himself. Jesus talks about it. You know, which one of you, by worrying, is going to add more height to your stature? Like if, man, I just wish I was six six and I could dunk. I've been wishing that since I was a kid, and it's still not going to happen. Okay, like it's it just not. I have come to accept that. Which one of you by worrying is going to be able to to prevent the end of the world from coming? If you're really worried about it, what should you be doing? Doing what Paul's doing. If this was my last letter, if this was my last opportunity, this was my last time to be able to share with somebody else, do it to the best of your ability and focus on the things that are most important. Then he goes on in verse 8, he says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. So he tells Timothy, You have not been given a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and a sound mind. Now, use that and do not be ashamed, not only of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, and then to share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. To be unashamed of the gospel. I think that that's self-explanatory. It's sometimes more challenging than it sounds. But we are to be unashamed for the gospel. It doesn't mean that, that you're just unashamed to call yourself a Christian because sometimes that's politically correct. I mean, I, there are a lot of people. There are many people that, that debate about whether or not our president is a Christian. But it's politically correct to be Christian nowadays. You get more votes that way. It's not a, a terrible thing to, to go into Facebook and to put that you're a Christian. Tons of people do it who really aren't. But he says to be unashamed of the gospel. To be unashamed of the gospel. That, that goes far beyond just calling yourself a Christian. To be unashamed of the gospel. To be able, to, to, be able to, to articulate that. To be able to tell somebody else what it means to be a Christian. Not just to tell somebody that you are but to tell somebody what that means, what that looks like in a life, and how their life can be changed as well. And then he says to be unashamed of his prisoner, of Paul, to be unashamed of other believers. You know, there are times in our lives where I think most of us have seen it where, where somebody will ask you or somebody will look at it's somebody that's doing something that's a little weird, at least to them, and, and then they'll say, so, so you're a Christian like that person? And then you start qualifying. Well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not like that weirdo. Or I'm a Christian, but I'm not a holy roller like that person. Or I'm a Christian, but to be unashamed of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. To be unashamed to say that, yes, they're brother and sister in the Lord. And yes, I, I believe that I'm going to see them in heaven. No, we may not see eye to eye on everything. We may disagree on this, that, or the other. But we we share the understanding that... That Jesus Christ is the one and the only way to heaven. That he's the one mediator between God and man. That it's by Jesus Christ and no one else, nothing else, that we've been saved. We've been saved by grace. So are we unashamed of fellow Christians doing the work of the ministry. And then he says to share with me in the sufferings for the gospel. For us, a lot of times the worst thing that we're going to suffer is ridicule. The worst thing that we're going to suffer in this country right now is ridicule. That may change in the next years. You know, it may change before the Lord comes back. It may get a lot worse here. But are we willing to share in the sufferings for the gospel? Some of us, if we're honest, that's a challenge. That is a challenge. I was sharing last night that that if somebody, if it got to that place where somebody came in with a gun and said, I need you to denounce Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I'm going to kill you. I honestly believe that I I could probably handle that. Now, if somebody brought my one-year-old, my three-year-old, my five-year-old, and they were going to do terrible things to them, maybe even kill them, if I didn't denounce the name of Jesus. That is a a difficult thing in my heart right now. That is a difficult thing. But I take comfort in the fact that what Paul writes here is to share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, not according to your own power, not according to your own will, not according to your own desire, your own strength, your own wisdom, your own abilities. But he says, share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. How you, know, you you hear all the stories about the people that have been martyred for the gospel and obviously they're not around for us to ask but but I truly believe that all of those people had that ability because they were gifted by God it's by the power of God that you make that stand it's not your own strength your own wisdom your own love your own anything It is simply the gift of God. It is the power of God that enables and prepares you for that moment, in that moment. It's not something that you can work up to. It's not something that you can condition yourself. It's not something that you can train for, that you can be fully prepared. And no matter what happens in this life, I know that whatever situation, I'm fully prepared for. Because I've trained for it. No, it's something that you are fully prepared for because of the power of God working in and through you. And so he says, according to the power of God, to share in the sufferings for the gospel. Not just because we're being dumb. To share in sufferings for the gospel. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 16, it's kind of a long section, but he says, Beloved, do not think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. In other words, don't, don't think that it's weird that you're going to get tested. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. Again, the the emphasis on the power of God and being reproached for the name of Christ. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. And in the way that the Sean's translation would say, verse 15, but let none of you be dumb, but let none of you be dumb and get, get into all of these things and then suffer. Because all of those things, those are things that we shouldn't be doing. We shouldn't be murdering. We shouldn't be stealing. We shouldn't be doing things that are evil. We shouldn't be gossiping. We shouldn't be busybodies. We shouldn't be doing all of that stuff. And so when you suffer for those things, that's on you. That's on me. But when we suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's when God is glorified. That's when God is glorified, and it's according to the power of God. And then he continues on in verse 9, going back to 2 Timothy, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. We have been saved by grace for God's purpose. We have been saved by grace for God's purpose. And, and I think that that's, that's something that, that's very very encouraging And very challenging at the same time. Because we've been saved by grace, not according to works, but for works. We've been saved by grace for works, for God's purpose. According to his own purpose, and if you you really read that, according to his own purpose since before time began. That means that God, who knows the beginning from the end, the end from the beginning, who knew everything before he even created each one of us, He knew what he was getting into. He knew what he was getting when he called you and I uniquely and individually by name. He knew what he was getting. And still he called us. He gifted us. He chose us to be used for his glory and for his honor, for his purpose. And this was a holy calling. That means it was a a perfect calling. It was a, 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 a place of being in that pure conscience. It was a perfect calling. It wasn't our calling of a perfect person. It was a perfect calling of a fouled-up person to do a perfect work. And that is God working in our lives, working through us. It's God's power and might and majesty that that are clearly seen through us. It says in verse 10, But this has all now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. That all of these things have now been revealed through Jesus Christ. You see the power, the might, the majesty of God in nature. But it's a challenge to see God's grace in nature. Right? I mean, have you ever stopped to think about that? Can some people talk about it? and, And I was reading a commentary and somebody had mentioned something similar that, you know, people tell you all sorts of different reasons why they choose not to go to a church. You know, And sometimes they choose not to go to any church because they say, well, God and I have an understanding. And God speaks to me while I'm out on the golf course. Or God speaks to me while I'm doing this. God speaks to me during halftime. God speaks to me during all the commercial breaks. I'm not going to debate that. God can. God could totally speak to you that way. And if he does, that's awesome. And you can continue to see God's power, God's majesty, and God's might. But the best place, if not the only place, for you to truly see God's grace and God's mercy in practical application is right here. Spending time with other believers, spending time in the body of Christ, spending time in fellowship, and in fellowship, that doesn't just mean hanging out. That doesn't just mean sitting in a a chair in a church service. That means being a part of the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just here everywhere, but also here about getting involved. People talk about, well, you know, this church feels so big and and I just feel so just detached. And yet there are other people that come to the the very same church and say, this church is so big, but it feels so intimate and so small because I I just, I love the the love that, that is here. It's the same church. It's the same things that are taking place, the same ministries, the same people, the same everything except the two people, the two hearts. They're in different places. You know, one of the things that, that I try to, to explain to people when they come and they tell me, you know what, I, I'm just having a hard time finding other believers to fellowship with. I tell them, get involved. Wow, but, but you're not, I'm, I'm looking for some place that I can hang out. Some place. Get involved. Well, wait, wait, But that does, yes, that does fix it. Some of the best friends that I have in my life now are because I got involved in some kind of a ministry with them. Whether it was a children's ministry, a youth ministry, a worship team, the sound ministry. For some people, it's the parking lot ministry, the security ministry, the the greeters ministry, children's ministry, women's ministry. Whatever it is, you just put ministry on the end of it, and you do it. And you get involved, and you get to know people that, that love the Lord. And then you start to get to know them beyond just, hey, you're a brother and sister in the Lord. But then you start to get to know them. You start to build those relationships. You start to to have that that community, that fellowship. Get involved. And and that's that's part of what he's talking about here, that all of this, that, that God's grace, God's mercy has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. But then he says he's abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And I love the fact that he says life and immortality. As, as two different things, two separate, distinct, and unique things, life and immortality. That means present and in the future. That he's given us life everlasting, but he's given us life with joy more abundant here on this earth. That he, God's just not, he's not just concerned with what's going to happen after we leave the earth. God is concerned with everything that happens in our lives today until he calls us home and then throughout all of eternity God loves each one of us so much that he cares about every single thing that happens in your life every single thing and so it says that he has abolished death and he's brought life and immortality to light through the gospel to which I was appointed a preacher an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles and then he says for this reason in verse 12 I also suffer these things nevertheless I am not ashamed For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. He says, I know who, not what I believe. It's almost become cliche now for us to say that we don't talk about religion, we don't share religion, we share a relationship. But it's truth. That really is what it's supposed to be about. It's not about a religion, it's about a relationship. And Paul says, For this reason I also suffer these things, nevertheless I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Not what, not the doctrine, not the theology, not the the stuff that that makes all of that go round. Although that's all important. But the more important part is the relationship. And if we can get the relationship with Jesus Christ right, God begins to reveal the doctrine and theology. He begins to speak to us through his word by the power of his Holy Spirit. But we need to be in the right place because otherwise you try to study the word of God and it's just an academic exercise. And this book by itself, without being filled with the Holy Spirit, without having that discernment that's given from God, it's just a book. It is just a book. There are tons of people out there that don't know Jesus Christ that read through this book, and it's just a book to them. But it is the power of God by His Holy Spirit that convicts our hearts through the Word of God brings us to him, and then continues to challenge us and grow us through it. But it is not an academic exercise. It's a spiritual exercise. We talk about the, the different workings of the Holy Spirit, and the first one is that the Holy Spirit is in the world to convict, to correct, to challenge us, to show us our need for a Savior. Everybody, believer or nonbeliever, has the opportunity to be challenged, to be convicted by this book. Thank God that you were chosen, that you were part of that. We have been chosen, we've been challenged, and we need to continue on in that, but we need to focus on getting to know Jesus through it, getting to know God. That's the the main purpose of the Word of God, is to get to know God. If you're just trying to, to get through the Word of God because you need it, you know, my kids, we, we've started this whole sticker thing, and so they, they have all these chores and different things that they're supposed to do. And, and if you do this, if you make your bed, if you throw the, put your dishes in the, the sink, if you do all these things, you get a sticker for each one. And if that's what you're doing, you're trying to please God, well, I'm reading through the Word of God just so that I can get my sticker. You've missed it you've missed the point. It's to get to know God. That's the whole point of the Word of God. Because he says, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. I trust him who holds my life in his hands. I trust him who holds my life in his hands. My wife and I were having a conversation the other day, and we were talking about, you know, just the, the challenges of being parents, not that we're experts, not that we've had all this experience, I've been a, a parent for five years, like that is super, super small, I get that, but having three kids and talking about the possibility of maybe going and having a fourth, and, and we were going back and forth about all the different things, the health risks and, and the, the challenges and, and all the different possibilities, and one of the things that we talked about was that, that we just want to trust the Lord. And then, then we start going down that road, and, and then we start talking about it, and then it became something that, that we, were, we were talking about. But what if this happens? Well, if we were going to trust the Lord to, to bless us with a fourth child, then shouldn't we trust the Lord with that fourth child? So many times we, we want to trust God all the way up until it, it comes time to really trust God. And then we get to that place, and then all of a sudden it's, well, now I'm concerned now I'm worried. Well, if you were trusting God all the way up to that point, what did, what did God fail? At what point did God fail that made you now decide I'm not going to trust him? We need to trust God. We need to be faithful because he is going to keep what we commit to him until that day. And so then in In verse 13, it says, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And this word there, pattern, is more literally schematic. This is kind of talking about like the blueprints, the plans of how to do this. And so he's saying here to hold fast this schematic, this this set of blueprints of how to do this, how to get to know Jesus Christ, and then share these things. Hold fast these things in faith and in love which are in Christ Jesus, and that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. You hang on to these things not by your own wisdom. I, I love apologetics. Apologetics, for those of you who don't know what that means, that is the defense of the faith, the defense of the gospel, the defense of the word of God. I love apologetics, and I think it's super, super important. And we all need to be able to know not just what we believe, obviously who we believe, but why we believe those things. And it's important. But we have to understand that the greatest importance of that is that we hold these things not in our own wisdom. We hold these things. We, we, we have these things committed by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Again, it's more than an academic exercise. It's not something that, that you can just come up with on your own. It's something that you need to pray about. You need to ask for discernment. You need to ask for the leading of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter all that much how we share that gospel. What's most important is that we share the full gospel. We share the truth of it. Nowadays, we get so caught up in, in all of the, the outward adornment and that's why I love the fact that he says this pattern, this schematic, this blueprint, is because the, the main strength of a building is not in the interior design. It's not in the interior decoration. It's not in the color of the chairs. You know, if we were to, to go through something in this building, if it was uh, an earthquake or a tornado or whatever it is, the strength of this building, you're not, you're not going to be relying on, well, I, I think that the tornado is going to skip us because I like the way that they, they pattern the chairs. You know, I like the way that when you look at them at an angle, they're all in line. That that has nothing to do with the strength of the building. The strength of the building is the foundation and the internal structure. And that's what he's talking about. It's the schematic. Hold fast the pattern of sound words. He didn't say, do what I do, word for word. He said, hold fast the pattern of sound words, the schematic, the blueprint. There are a ton of different ways to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. The important thing is that you share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't care how you do it. Well, I take that back. If you're cussing and you're doing all these other things, that's not the way to share the gospel. I saw this, this excerpt, and I can't remember who it was, but somebody said, you know, I, I just can't believe that I'm an effing Christian now. And I was like, well, you know, let's tone that down. You know, let's, let's kind of work on, on cleaning that up a little bit. But within the rules of the, of the word of God, it doesn't matter how you share the gospel. The most important thing is that you share the gospel. Hold on to that pattern. And then in verse 15, he says, This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. And so Paul at the end of this chapter, he's sharing about the people that have left, but then he really hammers home the person that has, has just been there for him. And I was so proud of myself because I have a slight lisp, and to be able to get through a all those times last night, it was amazing. So we're not going to push it, so we're just going to refer to him as that guy. But that guy meant so much to Paul that even though it appears that he has passed on, Paul still wants to know how his family is doing. He's still praying for the well-being of this man's family after he's passed on because he had that much of an impact on him. And he's telling his beloved son, I want you to remember him too. I want you to know how much he ministered to me. And when it says there that he sought me out and he zealously found me when he arrived in Rome, this was probably not an easy thing to do. This was not something that, that everybody would want to do. Finding Paul was probably not an easy, safe, or popular thing to do, and yet he went out of his way to do it, and it was a refreshing thing for Paul. And then we just, we're going to start chapter 2 and just have a, a couple of closing thoughts here. But, but he starts chapter 2, and he starts talking about being strong in grace. He says in verse 1, You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. Commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Of all the things that Paul could have said to be strong in, why did he choose grace? Why grace to be strong in? Why not be strong in the power of the Holy Spirit, which you can be and you should be? Why not be strong in the gospel, which you should be? Why not be strong in the doctrine, which you should be? Why be great, Be strong in grace? Because we are so performance-oriented. We are so performance and works-based. Everything is, well, you deserve that, or I deserved better, or I deserved worse. I deserved. Let's just get something straight. We all deserve worse than what we got. I don't care how bad it is. You, you deserve worse. I deserve worse. We're blessed. Yeah, you know, I, I. it is another one of those Christianese phrases, that cliche thing. You ask somebody, hey, how are you doing? I'm blessed. Struggling, but I'm blessed. It's Christianese, it's a catchphrase, it's cliche, but if it's true, praise God, because that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, I, I'm, it's tough right now, but I'm still blessed, because God's still God, and he's my God, and I'm still blessed. And so that's why he's saying, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Don't just be strong in works, be strong in the grace. Be strong in the grace. That means share that grace. That means bless others. We're not just talking about give money. We're talking about bless others with you, with your time, with the gifts and the abilities that God has given to you. Bless other people with those things. Be strong in that grace. And the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is church growth 101 according to the Bible. Our job is to teach others who will then go and teach others, who will then go and teach others. That's really what evangelism is. When you get down to the heart of it, it's you sharing what you know about Jesus with somebody else. And then that person can then go and share Jesus with somebody else. And that is the way that, that the body grows. Sheep beget sheep. And Paul didn't care, just like, like most pastors don't care. Like, I really don't care. If, you, if something just really spoke to your heart today and you feel like this other person would just be touched by that, steal away. Do it word for word if you want. I'd tell him it was your idea. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. The important thing is that sheep beget sheep, is that we are committing these things to faithful people who you hopefully are, who are then going to commit them to other faithful people. Plagiarize away. Share the gospel. Share the word of God. And then he goes into this section where he begins to give us three very vivid and descriptive analogies. The first one a soldier, the second an athlete, and the last one a farmer. He says, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. In other words, be prepared and don't get sidetracked or bogged down. Be prepared. Obviously, that goes without saying for a soldier. You have to be prepared. If you are in war, we're not just talking about being a soldier at any time. This is being a soldier in the middle of war. Being actually out there, bullets flying, bombs going off. Being out there, you have to be prepared. That goes without saying. But then he says, no one that's engaged in warfare in the middle of the battle entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. As we were sharing in a Bible study earlier this week, somebody brought up the fact that that when when the soldier's out in the battlefield, he or she isn't thinking about, I wonder who's going to pick up the kids today. You know, that's just not a thought that goes through. You know, somebody that's on the battlefield right now that's maybe in the middle of of being shot at, they're not thinking about who's going to start on their fantasy football team today. Like those are not the thoughts that go through your mind. You are locked in, you are focused, and if you're not, you're going to die. And that's what Paul is telling us, that we need to be locked in. We need to be focused at all times. That doesn't mean that from the time that you wake up to the time that you go to bed, if there is anything in your life that is not directly bringing somebody else to the kingdom of God, then you failed. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying that there shouldn't be anything that's not bringing glory and honor to God going on in our lives. We need to be prepared and we need to be on track the next thing in verse 5, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. We've gotten into this place, especially in America, where the, the phrase is, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. You know, some of you guys have heard that. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. That is definitely not Christian, okay? That's not biblical. That's not godly. That's not holy. It's not even ethical or moral. What Paul is telling us is that we need to play by the rules And it goes without saying that you compete to the best of your ability. Because that's what he's talking about here, that he's not crowned. You're only crowned if you win. You are crowned if you win. So he's saying compete to the best of your ability, but play by the rules. Do it according to the Word of God. Just like I said, I don't care how you share the gospel as long as you are within the boundaries of the Word of God. As long as you are not doing anything that is sinful according to the Word of God, share away. Whatever that entails. You know, I, I was talking yesterday about uh, a preacher that I love to listen to that a lot of people can't handle, and, and his name is Dr. Tony Evans. I love listening to Dr. Tony Evans. He has this program in this ministry called The Urban Alternative. And, and just challenge you guys, take five minutes, go YouTube, Tony Evans. It is amazing to hear the truth that this guy shares. But some people can't get past the delivery. You know, he gets loud. The the way that I first found him is we used to listen to to K-Wave a lot. And in the mornings, he would come on about 7.30 and we would leave K-Wave playing all night and K-Wave has Bible studies all day and all this stuff. And 7.30 in the morning, all of a sudden I'd be woken up because this guy's yelling, you know, and it's just loud and he's in your face about it. But he's sharing the truth. It's not just loud to be loud. It's not just loud to be showy. It's loud because that's who he is. He's just a loud guy. He's just sharing the gospel the way that God has gifted him to do it. And so we need to compete by the rules. We need to do it to the best of our ability. And then the last one here, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. And so to be a farmer, the, the analogy here is to be patient and faithful in following God's will. He says that, that the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. That means that, that he's going to be the first one to see it happen. But if you know anything about farming, it's not one of those things that, okay, well, yesterday I planted the seed, so where's the fruit? You know, you got to wait. There's a planting season. There's a harvesting season. and, And a season, we're not talking about days. We're not talking about weeks. A lot of times we're talking about months. And sometimes spiritually, we're not even talking about months. Sometimes we're talking about years. But we need to be patient. We need to be faithful in that. You know, one waters, one, plant, one plants a seed, another waters. God's the one that brings the increase. Sometimes we are not going to get to see the fruition of what it is that God was doing through us, but we just need to be faithful to do it. And understanding that the wisdom and understanding comes from the Lord. And then the last thing that we're going to do today is we'll, we'll go through verses 8 through 10. It says, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffered trouble as an evildoer. And that word evildoer there, in some of your translations translated malefactor, this is only used in one other place in the Word of God, and that's in the Gospel of Luke, to describe the criminals that were on either side when Jesus was crucified. And that's what Paul's saying, that that now he's suffering trouble as as an evildoer even though he hasn't done anything, even to the point of chains it says, but the word of God is not chained. That no matter what happens, no matter what they can do to him, the word of God has not been chained. That the gospel has not stopped to be preached in and through Paul's life. That man and Satan can do whatever they want to try to muzzle the gospel or muzzle the church, but those who share it are still able to share it. And that means that even if there's nobody else around you, you can still further the kingdom of God because you can still pray. It means wherever you find yourself, there is something that you can do that you will not be muzzled, that you cannot be chained to the point of not being able to be used. And he says, Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul knows who he's suffering for, the people that are going to come to know Jesus, and on behalf of Jesus Christ himself. That is why he suffers. And so just three things. I know that we went through a lot of things and it was kind of rapid fire this morning. But three main things that that I hope would stay with you. And the first one is to be faithful to a relationship and not religion. Be faithful to a relationship and not religion. The second thing is to find your purpose. Find your purpose. And the last thing is to be strong in the grace of God. There's a lot of other things to be strong in, but make sure that you are strong in the grace of God. And so that first one there, to be faithful to a relationship, not to religion, you need to study to get to know God and to get to know his word. It's not an academic exercise. It it is a spiritual relationship exercise. Study to get to know God and his word and then share what you know. That's part of being faithful to the relationship is to share with others what you know and to stir up the gift of God in you, to use whatever God has given to you, whatever gifts and abilities and talents, use those things to share that relationship and then to soldier on, to compete hard and be patient because all of those things are important in that relationship. There are going to be difficult times. You got to soldier on. You got to compete hard and you have to be faithful in that. In that second one, to find purpose, you need to understand what is God's will for your life. Then you need to figure out what's your will for your life. And if those two things aren't the same, you're going to have to figure out which one's more important. And hopefully that's the will of God in your life. You need to find your purpose. You need to know what God's will is for your life. And then that last one, to be strong in the grace of God, the first thing is to be active in the body of Christ because that's where you really get to show grace. That's where you really get to experience grace is in the body of Christ. Be active in the body of Christ and to show unearned favor. That means you give of yourself even to the people that maybe don't deserve it. You give of yourself. You give of the gifts that you've been given. And to pray for those that struggle alongside you. We're in this together. We are one body. We are one family in Christ. Had a conversation last night with someone and, and we were talking about that, that very thing. That, that we are one body in Christ. All the differences, all the, the difficulties, all the struggles, all the things that maybe we don't see eye to eye on. But if we are truly brothers and sisters in the Lord, then we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. We're part of the same family, part of the same body. We're going to the same place when we leave this one. And we serve the same God. We serve the same God. So be strong in the grace of God. So be active in the body of Christ. And show that favor to those around you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much this morning for all that you are, for all that you, you've you done in us. Though we, especially as we, we talk about grace, we thank you so much that that you show grace to us, that you have continually shown grace above and beyond what we could have ever thought or imagined. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy, and for your love. And Lord, we pray that that as we continue on in this this challenge, in this struggle of life, Lord, that you would be exalted and honored and glorified in it. Lord, that we would know who it is that we serve and who we commit ourselves to and to be faithful to trust you in all things and to get us to the other side. Lord, I pray this morning for every single one of our hearts that we would continually be challenged, but also that we would be continually encouraged and motivated in this relationship with you. Pray, Lord, that that if for whatever reason we've gotten to a place where where maybe the the ember is beginning to die out, maybe we're, we're experiencing, we're close to burning out. Lord, I pray that this morning, right now, even at this moment, that this would be an opportunity for us to be able to stir up that gift once again. Lord, that you would stoke the fire in each one of our hearts, that you would empower each one of us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that there would be a great coming upon of your Holy Spirit in this fellowship. Lord, that we would be able to to just be fully prepared, fully empowered, and excited to go out and to share your gospel with those around us. In more than just word, in the way that we live our lives, Father, that we would be impactful, in our generation, in our city, in our community, in this land. Lord, we also lift up Pastor Charlie. We pray once again that, that he would just have a wonderful time of refreshment and encouragement. And Lord, that you would bring him back to us safely. And we ask and pray all of these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you all would please stand. Liz is going to go ahead and close us out in a song of worship. And, and after that, there will be some men and women available up front to pray with you there's anything that God has laid on your heart. And once again, just continue to pray for Pastor Charlie, uh, that he has a wonderful time, that he learns a lot, and that he brings a lot back to share with us. Thank you guys.